Hello and welcome back to the Conflict Skills Podcast. I'm your host, professional mediator, Simon Good. In today's episode of the podcast, I'm going to be talking about how to deal with aggressive clients. It is a frequent topic that comes up when I'm running conflict resolution training workshops and I've actually decided to focus on this topic because I've had two different clients that I've worked with previously in different courses like managing difficult conversations and that kind of thing for managers and team leaders now wanting to roll out specific training for their staff in dealing with aggressive clients. And I wonder if maybe you and your team are experiencing an uptick in the frequency of this aggression because I know that so many different socioeconomic groups are being affected by things like inflation at the moment, increased mental health, various addictions uh, seem to be on the rise, family separation, there's just an endless gamut of challenges facing people externally at the moment from all different fronts and at the same time I think a lot of people's nervous systems are just supercharged from the unfortunate effect that social media and constant addiction to devices is having on us which means that we're constantly redlining it in terms of our nervous system and dealing with a lot of uncertainty and external pressure. So this spills out and the communication that you're having with clients, the conversations, of course, a lot of the aggressive behaviours isn't even necessarily to do with anything that you're telling them or that you're doing. It's likely that it's just a possible build-up of stress behind the scenes and now this is like the unfortunate eruption of a volcano when you give them the last little bit of bad news that's the straw that breaks the camel's back. So in the episode today I'll talk about managing some of that escalation and how we can deal with aggression and be assertive and hold on to boundaries as needed, as well as look after ourselves during all of this process, with an acknowledgement that this can be an incredibly challenging situation to be in. And so at the beginning, I'll talk about self-regulation and finding ways to stay calm at the beginning if the other person's very upset. And I'll finish with a little bit of a a discussion around self-care, longer term, how you can prevent things like burnout Uh, vicarious trauma, that kind of thing impacting you. Before we get into the topic though, just thank you so much as always for listening. If it's helpful for you, I'd be incredibly grateful if you'd be willing to leave a positive, you know, review or like or whatever it is in the podcast platform that you're listening. And if there's an option to subscribe or follow the podcast, that's always incredibly helpful because it sends the algorithm, algorithm a little bit of a message that this podcast might be useful for other people similar to yourself. So when I run workshops or do coaching sessions around dealing with aggressive clients, almost always the starting point is on self-regulation. This is just critical. It's the fundamental scaffold that needs to be in place before we can then develop the ability to influence someone else. So when I talk about self-regulation, I'm really talking about the practical ways that you can regulate your own nervous system. What do you need to do to stay more calm and composed, both before a difficult conversation and particularly during a difficult conversation? And this starts with self-awareness. What we need to do is to develop the capacity to become aware of a physical buildup of stress, our heart rate increasing, for example, or the feeling of adrenaline pumping through your system and cortisol and just that general unease, I guess, that starts to build up when we become agitated. 
Now, often I think when we're dealing in a professional capacity with a client, there's particular information we need to give or questions we need to ask or whatever, a process that we need to follow. So to some extent, I think just realizing that there's this buildup of stress helps us to kind of stay on track, to focus on doing our job effectively. I think just awareness of the buildup itself is often enough. It prevents that unconscious or subconscious spilling out that can sometimes happen when we don't realize what's going on in terms of this impulse that I have to, you know, snatch something off the other person or whatever it might be. That impulse is there because the other person's being quite disrespectful, but my job in the moment is to remain composed. And so this is what I need to focus on. But if I'm not aware of that impulse coming up, and let's say I get distracted or I'm particularly tired or stressed or they manage to do something else that pushes my buttons, like really invade my personal space or make a sudden movement trying to get a rise out of me or something. And so I don't want that impulsive behavior to all of a sudden spill out, whether it's something that I'm going to do or something that I'm going to say. But there are also strategies to regulate your own nervous system during a difficult conversation Three that I find incredibly useful myself, and I I know a lot of my clients do as well, is breathing, mindfulness, or sort of scanning your senses, and then just managing your posture actively. So if we think about breathing, the most important part of the breath to focus on is the breath out. As we fully empty our lungs, it's sort of the opposite of when we're in that fight or flight mode of fast, shallow breathing, you know, crisis mode type of thing. So taking those really slow, deep breaths, fully exhaling when we breathe out, it's more effective if you use your nose rather than your mouth. That's often a really helpful starting point at finding a way to stay calm when you're dealing with someone who's in a particularly aggressive state. Your brain is trying to make sense of your situation in any given moment. And so it's looking at all of the external stimulus connected to them, like what they're doing and how close they are and their facial expression and the fact that they're going red and they're holding a pen in a threatening manner or whatever else it might be. But your brain is also looking at your body to make sense of that situation. And if your heart is racing and you're yourself clutching a pen almost as if it might be a threat, then guess what? Your brain's going to make sense of this, that you're in combat. (laughs) And so it will get ready for combat, which is physical activity. So, you know, your heart rate increases to plump pump blood to your muscles to get oxygen available, etc., to fight. And that's not going to be what you want to stay calm and composed. So taking a few deep breaths just takes control of all of that and helps to, I guess, direct your nervous system in that right direction. The next thing that you can do is mindfulness. And here I'm talking about just more or less paying attention to your senses, wiggling your toes and feeling your socks in your shoes or the ground under your feet pausing and just focusing on the temperature of the air hitting your skin? Is there a breeze subtly coming from the air conditioning? What's the temperature of the air? Uh, Looking around and what are the different textures that you can see in the room, feeling the grain of wood on the desk in front of you? All we need to do is to focus on the granular detail, the fine detail that our senses are already having access to, But what this does is it focuses our brain into a more detailed way of thinking. It slows down the assumptions and quick summaries that the brain might impulsively make when it's interpreting a situation as high pressure. And instead, we start to look at the detail, which focuses our brain to work in a more 
rational and logical way, I suppose, considering multiple factors and multiple options for why something else might be happening. Another similar technique that I often use myself after a difficult conversation is that I immediately think about three or four other reasons for the other person's behavior. They don't need to necessarily be realistic or true, but maybe I'm particularly insulted about the this person, you know, said that they didn't respect me and thought that I was a hypocrite and I obviously was in over my head or something like that. And when those things push my buttons, unfortunately, there's usually a little bit of a grain of truth to it. Like I feel like I've actually done a bit of a half-assed job and mailed something in, you know, that's not a reflection of the kind of work that I'm capable of doing, for example. And so if someone questions my ability, that probably cuts to the core because it's also tapping into the guilt and self-consciousness and whatever else might be sitting there for me. But when this happens, one of the ways that I can prevent myself from automatically taking it personally is to think about a few other reasons why this person might be thinking this way or acting that way. Like maybe they haven't had much sleep and they're under the pump at the moment with other deadlines that they're working on or they could be going through relationship challenges, or a family member might be sick, or it's possible that they've misinterpreted something that I've done in terms of my communication, and maybe they're feeling a bit slighted and insulted and upset. And I suppose it's also possible that they're looking at my work and also realise that I could do a better job than I have been. And so to them, that seems like an intention of letting them down. You know, I've to some extent, not fulfilled what they expected in terms of our relationship. They're not aware of all the contextual reasons as to why I didn't spend as much time on the work as I normally would. Like, you know, I've got my own challenges that I'm going through in my personal life or whatever it might be. But just that exercise of going through and thinking of a number of different alternative explanations for why someone's done what they did or why they're thinking the way that they are means that I don't tend to feel the same almost irresistible impulse of changing their mind (laughs) and instead I can look at this whole situation in a little bit more of a curious and open way which inherently then tends to help me to feel more calm and composed. So mindfulness doesn't necessarily have to be something like sitting on the floor cross-legged in a yogi type of pose. It's as simple as paying attention to your senses which slows down your thinking, switches your brain into that more detail-focused kind of gear and helps you to feel more calm. The other thing that you can do is to deliberately focus on your posture and your movement, sitting up straight, so straightening your back, uh, limiting movement, so don't use lots of hand gestures when you're speaking, just keep your hands relatively still. Ideally, they would be visible because that's one of the de-escalation cues that's helpful is having your hands in a visible place, but keep them relatively still. And aiming for stillness actually is something that you can keep in mind, generally speaking, Don't tap a pen on the desk. Don't pace back and forth. Try not to use exaggerated and over-the-top facial expressions. Try to keep your voice even steady, neutral in the consistent type of tone. All of these things will both send messages to the other person to help them to calm down, but they're also really helpful for yourself because, as I've said, your brain is making sense of this situation. And if you're sitting still in a powerful kind of pose that you would sit in when things were okay and you were not flustered and you were not flapped, 
and things were going to be all right and you could get through this, then that's the interpretation that your brain tends to make of the situation, which of course is exactly what you want if your goal is to be able to act in that more measured and composed way. The next factor to consider are options for using structure. I strongly suggest using structure as much as possible in many situations. Sometimes that's a physical structure, like if you've got repeated aggressive clients coming in, I do quite a bit of training with not-for-profits here in Australia who work with um, youth crisis centres, for example, or people who are experiencing homelessness or drug and alcohol use or whatever else it might be. And so they're not sure who's coming in on any given day. And it's possible that the clients that they're coming in will already be in an escalated state. So they have really well thought through security mechanisms like desks to separate front administration staff, multiple exits, multiple alarms, that kind of thing. And having a plan in place for when things escalate. But it could also be using structure for things like a time limit for meetings If you've got unknown people that you're meeting, you might prefer to have appointments in the morning so that they haven't had as much chance to drink and use drugs, for example, if that's a common pattern of behavior that you're noticing or you suspect or it's likely. You could have agenda items or a structured interview, for example, rather than something that's more flexible and open-ended. You could have a list of printed questions. You could have signs up on the waiting room about the kinds of behaviors that's expected You could get clients to sign something. You could have a more senior person visible and available in case of any assistance. So maybe as soon as there's a slightly raised voice, your team leader has an agreement to come over and just check, hey, just want to double check everything's okay here. And the goal there is to send an early message to the client about the fact that like we're watching, you're on notice. This isn't the kind of environment where you can just get away with anything. So these types of options for using structure mean that you can often prevent the build-up of that type of aggressive behavior, which manifests when there's nothing done in terms of early intervention and I suppose everything is left without the structure and in much more of an open, flexible way. And I don't think that that's necessarily a good idea when you're dealing with clients and aggression is a pretty common factor. So you've thought through some options for self-regulation and keeping yourself calm and considered, you know, various strategies for changing structure where that might exist. The next thing that you'd need to do is to consider boundaries. When we're talking about aggressive clients, what is it specifically that they're doing and where's the point where it's too much for you? Where's the line? When you say it's abusive language, like what would that be? Is there a certain amount of time that someone would be swearing at you? Is it just a gut feeling? Is it the point where you're likely not to be able to get through all of the information that you need in the interview? Maybe it's just a raised voice and that's something that you agree is not acceptable. All of this would depend both on the context and I suppose this could even be a team discussion to some extent about what's appropriate and what's not. But for you, you'll also need to think through some of those more subjective elements Like, what is it that I'll start to notice when boundaries have been crossed? And this can be done preemptively and beforehand to some extent, but I think engaging in reflective practice around this over time is something that's really crucial. Keeping an eye on this buildup of stress or is your tolerance for abusive behavior slipping into a point where you're accepting something that's really not appropriate 
And maybe you're paying the price of that, like a buildup of stress or feeling like you're even burning out yourself just because you feel like clients are able to get away with whatever they want. So what are the boundaries for you? What is the too far point, as close as you can get to that, and then continuing to reflect on that? But there might be practical, objective factors that you could consider as well, like a time limit for the meeting, letting a client know, if you square again, I'm going to end the call, that kind of thing. Um, Once we're, I guess, have thought through the boundaries or during a conversation, if we're feeling uncomfortable and we've decided that it is time to put in place a boundary, we'll need to think about a behavior. Like what is it that they're going to do that would trigger that boundary to cross to be crossed versus they're okay and we can continue as planned. And then once you've established boundaries, the next step will involve assertiveness. Now, if we're dealing with aggressive clients and we decide to be assertive, we're putting boundaries in place, we're confronting someone about negative behavior, we should prepare for the cost of that, which will probably be upsetting the client. There will also be a bit of embarrassment probably if you've got other staff that you work alongside watching you. There's risk of it escalating and then becoming violent or something like that. So these aren't necessarily reasons that we shouldn't be assertive, but it's worth pausing and just considering is this worth it in this situation? I think most of the time it probably is, but if we pause and consider it, it means that it tends to not feel as overwhelming it becomes tangible and therefore something that we can manage. So outlining expectations, I think, at the beginning of the meeting, like we do not tolerate abusive behaviour or language. This includes calling staff things like bitch or other similar swear words. If this kind of insulting and um, abusive language happens, then the conversation will be terminated or the meeting will end or however you decide to phrase that. But it's very clearly saying if you do this, this is what will happen. You might start less formally, maybe you don't know the person and so you start with a more warm and soft and engaging type of way. But if you start to notice aggressive and abusive behaviours coming, I often think that it's better to clarify the expectations early. So one of the options for doing that without triggering escalation is to say, uh, I know this, this to some extent, I guess this is a formality and something that we do need to tell all of our clients but I'm just realizing I forgot to walk through some of the normal rules that we go through at the beginning of these kind of meetings. Would it be okay if I outline the, um, what would it be, guidelines around clients' behaviors and just make sure that that's something you can agree to before we can continue? And then I'd sort of explain to them this is what's expected. So outlining those expectations at the beginning and then when there's a boundary that's been crossed, you'll need to confront them. I like the what, ask, check model of positive confrontations. What have they done? Ask for a change in behavior and then check. I'm sorry, I wasn't finished speaking. Could I please finish explaining the structure of the meeting? And then we can get started. It would probably take two or three minutes. Would that be all right with you? What? I wasn't finished speaking. You've interrupted me. Ask. Can I please explain the structure and the ground ground rules before we get started? Check. Would that be all right? And then if they continue to cross the boundaries, I think an ultimatum is often a helpful final option. We would put the negative and then the positive. So we'd say the thing that they're doing that's wrong or not acceptable with the consequence, then followed by the positive, the thing that we want them to do, followed by the consequence. If you call me a bitch again, I'm going to end the call. Or if you can use different language to speak with me, I'll see what I can do to help. 
And so that's often the point where if they do use that language again, then you hang up. But you've given them every possible chance. You've managed to hold on to the boundaries, outline expectations and be assertive, like hold the line and hopefully in a way that helped you to remain composed throughout the process. Now, I think underneath a lot of the aggressive client behavior that you'll come across is like underneath the anger is something else. It's a lack of control. It's feeling overwhelmed. It's the level of uncertainty that the person's feeling. It might be fear. It might be embarrassment. It might be exhaustion. It might be just feeling trapped. It might be just incredibly low self-esteem. And all of those things are often happening within a person because of what's happened to them. So if you can manage to hold the line and at least keep the aggressive behaviors within a good enough type of threshold, if you know what I mean, like not necessarily ideal, but it's something that wouldn't necessarily trigger finishing a meeting, then your next goal should be to demonstrate empathy. By acknowledging their underlying need, the efforts that they've made, the hardships that they've endured or the negative impacts that they're dealing with, and validating that, it tends to take the emotional heat out of the issue when somebody feels understood And that often happens when you summarize what they've told you, not just by saying, I understand. You will see they let out a breath, their shoulders drop, they become a little bit more calm. And so I think as the behavior continues to be aggressive and escalate, unfortunately, the best strategy in most situations is to continue to be more firm yourself, hopefully maintaining a respectful and neutral view of the behavior as separate from the person but you will need to do what you need to do to contain the situation for your own safety, let alone other clients that might be in the building or depending on the other people around, there's of course their safety to consider as well. But if you're able to do that, if the situation is contained to whatever extent you're okay with, then you're able to validate and acknowledge and really help the other person to feel understood. I think even when you're delivering bad news or asking them to do something that they're not particularly happy about, you might find that you're able to get a higher level of buy-in and engagement just because there's that sense of relatedness. And so finally, after all of these types of interactions with aggressive clients, you will be left with a physical buildup of stress, a higher level of cortisol, adrenaline, etc. And so self-care will be something that's really important for you to consider, both in terms of the physical layer and the emotional and cognitive rational layers too. So exercise, for example, or making sure that you have a chance to unwind, taking a few moments to sit quietly and meditate early in the evening before you you immediately go and have a glass of wine and watch Netflix or do online shopping or check the latest gambling app or whatever the thing is that you normally turn to when you've got that real increase of cortisol and you're feeling crap. And you're craving dopamine, you know, you're craving that chemical release of feeling better. Well, in these particular moments where that's come as a result of dealing with aggressive clients, we want to recognize that we're feeling so wired or exhausted and flat or whatever it is that we're left with this evening because of those experiences that happened to us today. And so there will be particular things that we need, which will be good for us and help us to refill our bucket, so to speak. And there will be other things that act more like band-aids that are a temporary fix that help us to feel better in the moment, but ultimately maybe 
don't restore some of that impact that the aggressive clients might have had on us. So I hope that that's been helpful for you, thinking through some of the nuances of dealing with aggressive clients, and I'm hoping that there's some of those different ideas that you can take and use in your role, or if you're in a leadership position or you're supporting other people around you, this might also be the kind of information that you can take and use in your role of supporting them. Again, if you'd be willing to leave some type of a positive review, if it's been worth five stars to you, it would be incredibly appreciated. And if you'd be willing to subscribe, I will hopefully see you in a future episode of the Conflict Skills Podcast. Bye for now.